0: This is Entrepreneur's The Playbook, where each week I bring you some of the greatest athletes, celebrities, and entrepreneurs to talk about their personal and professional playbook to success. Welcome, everyone. It's Friday Training and the Office Hours edition of Friday Training, and we are having a great time and a great co-host with me today. We'll have a third one coming on as well, Dr. Lacey Book, in the, house, in the office hours, Friday Training. How are you, my dear?
1: i'm doing fantastic how are you
0: i was just memorized by my own trailers and i saw Raluca doing the same and i'm sitting there going wow that's pretty cool uh we have office hours coming up in november and december as well filming again but i get to see you at the end of this month which is approaching very rapidly uh i'm here in tahiti doing a mastermind of a different kind and we have an intensive intimate mastermind and a Chargers game versus the Bears. Uh, very excited. What are you looking forward to most when you come out here uh, with our VIP math? Uh, well,
1: the thing I love the most is just actually seeing how people make connections with each other. I mean, we get a lot out of it, of course, because we get to pour into others. But seeing the group pour into each other is always my favorite thing.
0: Yeah, it's amazing. Mine is the- And it's led by you and Sean. Dr. Shondale will be here, but you create a space and it's a little bit different uh, as we go through different masterminds and teach and see all these different frequencies or different masterminds. And the idea of a mastermind, in case people don't know, is uh, you, know, you have two people and they together when they co-create, create a higher consciousness or a mastermind. And if you look throughout history, there's so many different uh, religions and cultures that have, you know, whether it's minion or a variety of councils, that the purpose was to create this higher consciousness, this co-creative that has a lot more intention, individual intention as well. And uh, nobody does it better than you and Sean, uh, beyond the fact that you're mine and Julie's best friends. So we like doing it Else, well. So we're kind of cheating the code a little bit as well, hanging out with people that we love. But if anyone wants to join us, um, please just email me, Lacey, uh, go to drlacybook or com, and uh, we will be with that. So in the session, what we're going to do is we have extraordinary guests, and we'll be taking questions in between and having conversations in between uh, as Sean gets off his plane. And our first guest is incredible. He just uh, led the way on uh, our. Uh, Clubhouse because it's was in the morning here in Tahiti and uh, asked him to kind of lead the way with IPOs and investment. Uh, nobody I know has more experience and it has taken more companies public this year than that I know of than Peter Goldstein and he's part of my book of my family, the main man himself, Peter Goldstein. welcome to Office hours.
2: Good morning, Dave.
0: Good morning, Lacey.
2: Well, we just want to
0: start out. Oops, sorry. Uh, you were leading the way on Clubhouse today. What was your number one takeaway the leader in that community uh, as an entrepreneur of IPOs and investor, speaker, author, your books coming out? What was your number one takeaway from when you led that group?
2: You know, it was great to lead, Dave, to, to an audience that's really hungry for, for information mm-hmm. and hungry for knowledge. And wanting to tap into and being able to open up the dialogue you know between people that are in different stages of their careers and and of course for me is very fulfilling to be able to give back and give some wisdom and give some experience from all the years that i've had in the entrepreneurial field
1: i love it peter one of the things like when i was reading your bio i'm like man When I think about IPO, it feels like this far off elusive thing for so many individuals, but obviously anybody that wants to grow and scale a small company has dreams about taking their company public. So what would be some advice that you would give to somebody just getting started, like a fundamental foundational thing that they should do, even if they have dreams of that in the future? Because I feel like those foundational things often get missed.
2: They, they, they often do, Lacey, where people are more focused on the destination than they are about what's required to set themselves up properly for success. So I, I start with the first one, which is the commitment and, and really understanding that whether you do it 12, 18, 24, 36, however many months down the road, it starts off with a mindset about being committed to reach that destination. And then there's all the critical part, like any journey, that you want to create a roadmap and you want to be able to understand the stops along the way, because that is not a straight road, uh, as we all know, as entrepreneurs, but an IPO, especially is incredibly complex and chaotic along the journey. So it's the preparation, it's the mindset. And then like we're talking about here, it's about surrounding yourself with people that have subject matter expertise, you know, knowledge, wisdom, and real life practical experience.
1: I got a follow up question real quick. Can I ask something? Cause I'm just curious yeah. because the roadmap's so important With, for the companies that you've seen go public, do you think like, what's the balance between the leadership and the actual service or product itself that allows that to happen?
2: I, I go right away, Lacey, to fundamentals. Yeah. It's it's, you have to have a solid business, mm-hmm. which is built on fundamentals. And then that can be grown and scaled, but those those critical components of being at the point where you want to access new capital to leverage the fundamentals that you've built inside of your company. So knowing that there's a great demand for your product, for your service, or your deliverable, and then being able to have those measures and enough infrastructure in place that you can really lift that up and then garner really the support of outside investors. Because you're asking people to come now to participate as equity holders in your company to fulfill upon your growth vision. So good. And
0: I'll squeeze in as we give Sean time to kind of get settled there as he's just off an airplane. Uh, Peter, the specialties that you have in those fundamentals is, is understanding timing. And most people, whether it's real estate, whether it's stocks and other investments, they're reactive. They're late to the game. And uh, as I see it, the reason that, number one, people are capable of taking more companies public this year than anyone else I know, but also uh, being in a position today prepared for next swing up, meaning that a lot of people uh, that are preparing now for IPO, even though the market is hard, uh, as you know, and you're still capable of taking companies public, the ones that are preparing now for the market turns back and there's a huge demand, benefit exponentially because there's not great supply and there's a huge demand. And a lot of times companies that do so on an IPO do extremely well because there's just not that many companies prepared with the fundamentals in order to effectuate get onto the NASDAQ or other marketplaces, New York Stock Exchange, etc. What are some of the things people can be doing now to public in the next run.
2: Yeah, so just like every you mentioned real estate and other and the market cycles, you know, there is an ebb and a flow to all of this. We are we are in a, a a long kind of cold period in the IPO market, one of the worst in 30 years. But two years ago, we were in one of the best in 20 years. So, you know, the way I I have you know have enough experience now and have been through enough of these cycles to know. As what you know, where there will be an upward trend here in the IPO market, which will come with sentiment of the investor community, freeing up of the capital that right now is on the sidelines, you know, waiting for the confidence and, and really the ability to deploy that capital. So, the, the management schools for the IPO class of 2024 and 2025 are now planning in advance. And, and there are pillars of kind of the building blocks for successful IPO execution. and we look at those 18, 24 months ahead of where they are today, and the time that, that they might want to enter into the markets. A lot of people don't realize, especially entrepreneurs, kind of one of the myths of Wall Street is that you have to be a certain size, you need to be a unicorn, you need to have hundred million in revenue. Those are all myths of Wall Street. You know, wherever you are in your growth as a as an emerging company, if you look forward 12, 18, 24 months, the foundational building blocks for a successful IPO execution are the same ones you would want for any business. You know, business readiness, due diligence. You know, in this case, there's outside requirements from regulatory environments, but your financial readiness and your organizational readiness, they are fundamental building blocks of any good solid company.
0: Dr. Sean Dill, welcome to Office Hours Fresh to plan, A committed friend and of course, co-host at Office Hours with me and his unbelievable co-host Lacey Book on what do you got for Peter?
3: Oh my gosh, first of all, I'm super excited to be here and wow, just in this uh, brief time, I could listen to Peter talk. man, it's just incredible. Obviously I missed the, the initial question, so my apologies if I if I repeat, But it's kind of piggybacking off what you were just saying peter um you know i think that ipo is is something that a lot of entrepreneurs uh dream of it's 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 the it's the pinnacle right but there's a lot of ipo points if you will in that journey from startup i mean just taking the idea and jumping off and you were talking about like being ready um if we were to apply some of these concepts in ipo to the entrepreneur who's watching and they're about to take that first step. I mean, you're, your expertise all the way, like you're standing at the finish line, but with everything that you've learned, um, what advice would you have for people on the very first things that they are doing in their business? They have a brilliant idea. They dream of IPO one day. That seems so far out. What are the absolute critical things that they have to do to prepare themselves to one day reach that finish line?
2: You know, having having been, I'm very humble about it, you've had the benefit of being able to go to NASDAQ, the New York Stock Exchange, and ring the bell and take my own company. It, it is a pinnacle event. Uh, and, and what the way I approach it now, and for anybody, no matter where they are in their journey, is almost reverse engineering. If you know that that's the goal of where you want to be, and this is what we do when we take on clients, is where are you now? And what are the metrics or the steps that you would need to do in order to satisfy requirements. But if you go back further than that, even no matter where you are, and as an entrepreneur in your journey, it's continuing to build on those fundamentals and look at, you know, your own business, the vision that you have, and then the resources. So I like to start with the team, and making sure that you have people around you in the way of, you know, employees, your C-suite advisors, board members, that can really help to guide you through those next steps with a vision that may be years down the road, you know, it may be a decade down the road, uh, but you're working towards an end goal and then being able to kind of, you know, reverse engineer where you are, starting off with the vision and the people to help you execute and implement that vision.
0: And just to have a book coming out, and I know you've been speaking around the world about these types of topics. Uh, it's interesting how today, people who are hyper-focused in on whatever specialty or skill that they have are now capable of creating, you know, unbelievable resource for everyone, whether it's video, whether it's audio in a podcast, or even a book, you know, what's your intent with you uh, to either stimulate interest on IPOs or was it to explain the pitfalls in the requirement in order to affect this
2: entrepreneurial dream that exists throughout the world now? And David, it's really a combination of all those. I think my, my first, it's my first time as an author and I was really excited. This was a, a COVID project that led me to take a lot of my knowledge and start to put it onto paper, which, you know, cements, for those of us that have done it, really the ability to to really crystallize your thoughts, and and then that turned into actually I brought in other outside experts. So in each one of the chapters, there's 12 chapters in the book. I have two industry pros, including you know members of the New York Stock Exchange, floor traders, you know the head of capital markets at Nasdaq. So I brought in other professional viewpoints because my goal really was to educate entrepreneurs that this is possible. It's not just, as Lacey was saying, some further, far out there dream. It really is much more accessible than most entrepreneurs think. You know, when when the dot-com era led to the bust of, of early stage companies, there was a, a misnomer, a myth created, that you had to be a certain size and scope. So it starts for me about education, you know, sharing my knowledge, you know, being able to bring more companies into to access transformational capital. And as an entrepreneur, I love building companies. And to see others, to be able to take what's available to them and fulfill upon their vision is incredibly rewarding. And I want more entrepreneurs to know what's available to them.
0: Yeah, and everybody, uh, the launch will be here coming up next month at Entrepreneur's people. It's an insider's roadmap to taking your company public, no matter what size, scope or scale you're at today. Follow those who have done it before and have done it more than anyone else that I know <clears throat> here this year. Uh, so the fastest way to get to where you want to be is find someone that's already there or to be here and ask them for directions. That's the way I see the entrepreneurs. IPO, Peter Goldstein, I'm sure you'll be back. Congratulations on your success. Really, I always say the cream rises to the top is the market, mm-hmm. whether it's real estate, mortgage, insurance, uh, chiropractic. Uh, amazing how the top people are opening new businesses. They're taking companies public. Uh, I'm here in Tahiti, which is kind of the French Polynesian culture of, no, oh, no, that is impossible. Uh, it's not impossible. Uh, you know, we've done like this thing here. Sam is mastermind, these crazy things, and people are like, no, no, this is impossible. And Sam Taggart's definitely not an impossible guy. Neither Peter, Sean Lee, Sean deal I'm Sean Lacey and Lacey Book. Uh we are blessed to have you, Peter. Come back and join us soon. Okay. Thanks, guys. Great Thanks to see you. you. To you. Gotcha. See Thank you. All right. Well we got a few minutes before we'll bring Lindsay on. She's waiting patiently in the green room. Uh but I always like to take some questions, especially in the the Friday training edition. We've been training for over twenty four years, uh, every single week, most of the time on Fridays, even when i do training on thursdays i call it friday training just to Mm. keep that brand alive which you guys know uh anyway there's so many questions here i thought we could roundhouse it uh and i'm going to take this question here you guys can an entrepreneur do at the beginning to ensure they're setting themselves up for going public now we've all had experience with companies like that uh let's get to the real basics uh you know, being more interested than interesting. What do you think is coaches uh, of startup companies? If someone comes to you and asks, "Hey, I someday want to go public. What should I do to uh, start the process and sure that I can go public someday?" Uh, Sean, Sean, I'm going to start with you since you were
3: uh, cheated on the last guest. <laughs> well, that's a great question. Um, I think ultimately, at the end of the day. Um, you have to ask yourself if your product or service literally, uh, literally solves a problem that needs solving in the world. Uh, so many times uh, entrepreneurs have a solution for a perceived problem. Uh, they're like, but Sean, everybody needs this. They just don't know it. And that's the difficulty is they just don't know it. Um, and so we're we're fighting uphill on that. And so I would ask myself, listen, this this idea, this brilliant idea do I have? Does it literally solve a problem for the world? If it does, I mean, now we can create the fundamentals, the team, we can create everything around that, that, that solution set that you offer. And I think that you're home free.
0: Love it. Lace.
1: Yeah. So, well, first off, I kind of had an aha moment when Peter was talking and I was thinking, even if you don't have a desire to take your company public one day, why would you not want to create a company that acts as if, right? Because that's what, the most successful companies on the planet could have the ability to go public. So I was listening to him talk and talk about the fundamentals and how important kind of the infrastructure is. So naturally my answer is going to be document everything. Even if you are a solopreneur and you're starting out and you're doing everything by yourself, you need to write down how you do it. So many entrepreneurs do this retroactively and what happens is that it's not a very efficient document. It's not a very efficient system because they forget some of the things that they do that have become natural. And therefore it doesn't become a scalable system in their business. So right when you're starting out, you have an opportunity to document everything that you do, write it down as you're learning it. So all the bits and pieces are uh, memorialized on a, on a piece of paper or however you decide to do it.
0: Absolutely, beyond getting a mentor, it's Sean or Lacey, by the way, there's a brand uh, in the sports world I've used for years. I just realized with Sean in his leather jacket, and it was called Leather uh, so uh, you guys are right on brand. If you put on a golf course in the sports world, uh, I'm sorry, the ADD is just there. What <laughs> I think is important, and I've been a CEO of a public company, uh, which, you know, is not, uh, it's an MRI suck a lot of times. Uh, it's not as easy as you think. Uh, if you like a whole bunch of people telling you what they love and hate about you every single day, it's a great position, a uh, great job for anyone. Um, but I think there's one thing that most entrepreneurs don't realize. And it, whether you go pop or not, your objective uh, of business is to create shareholder value.
2: Mm-hmm. Now, if
0: you're the only shareholder, it's still your objective. If you have a million shareholders, it's your objective. And it should be your answer uh, and also the base of reasoning uh, to tell people and to, to determine what should I do next, right? How do I maximize shareholder value considering the multiple interest in the company? But it's all about the business shareholder value, especially when we're talking about a public company. And I think a lot of people get lost in the ego. They get lost in the direction exit or liquidation or acquisition and they forget the true entrepreneur, the true purpose is shareholder value and build business. And that's what creates a community. When you create a community of shareholders, or including shareholders can be customer, vendor, employees, etc. You create a community of people that will buy from you and sell for you. And that's the key ingredient, to successful business when you have as many people buying from you and selling for you as possible by being of service and value in doing so begin and setting up the company that way that's where the statistical success comes in that's where people like sean and lacy leather and lace can help you so can people and uh appreciate both of you being here now let's bring our next extraordinary guest up onto the office hours platform Good morning, Lindsay. How are you?
4: I'm in keeping with the theme. I've got the lace, so I love it. The leather.
0: There you go. And <laughs> so all, all I got, you got guys. is my Travis, my Travis Matthew old old course uh, t-shirt, which uh, Sean and Lacey brought me to as well. So got to enjoy that. Lindsay Dowd is here. Chief Heartbeat Officer, and I have to admit, uh, I've had the Chief Heart Officers on here, and the, and the people officers, and the. Chief Media Officer, Chief Heartbeat Officer at Heartbeat for Hire. Welcome, and she has a new book, which I cannot wait to delve into, Top-Down Culture, Revolutionizing Leadership to Drive Results. Um, The idea of top-down culture is one which there's a lot of resistance to today. Uh, There's more communal approach uh, of, you know, this has to be some sort of shared Uh, culture that we we have to care about the the, the weakest link, you know, you're only as good as your weakest player, and somehow that weakest link is going to determine our culture. This paradigm shift of understanding top-down culture, uh, where do you see the greatest gains or the greatest value to a company by sticking to a top-down culture?
4: Well, think of it this way. If you have a leader or you are a leader that has stood on a table and jumped up and down and screamed at their people, you shouldn't be surprised when your people are doing the same thing. You are not creating great culture. You're not creating a psychologically safe environment, and you're not creating a space for people to do their best work. If you yell at people, embarrass people, belittle them, no one is going to feel safe in order and and be able to stretch and do their job. So it's more about modeling culture, but culture belongs to everyone. And if you're the person standing over at the water cooler, you know, fetching with your pals and saying things that are negative about how all these things are broken and need to be fixed, you're part of the problem. But if you are one of those people that seek positivity, seek solutions, if you have an issue, if there's something broken, bring that solution. You're part of the solution. And that's how culture belongs to everyone. But I really have to emphasize it does start at the top. And you have to set the, if you have a mission, if you have a statement, you have to really align to those. They can't just be words. You know, we see so many com- companies that have these great statements, but they really look nothing like that. And that's kind of the worst culture that you can see. And if you ask anyone that works there, they'll say, oh, you know, is it great? I mean, you guys talk about it all the time, like, oh my God, it's miserable. I hate my job. I can't wait to leave. And that's really not how you want to build a career.
3: Lindsay, let's talk a little bit about consciousness Mm. in culture. Um, I work with a lot of people that um, struggle with culture because uh, the the you know as Dave was saying, the the sort of the the people have taken over like they're, you know the the complacency. yeah um, apathy has bled in. And so when we talk okay. about top-down culture, talk to me about the consciousness. How important is it that leadership actually defines what they want to see as the culture? And I think that goes deeper than mission and vision so that it doesn't just run away from us based on a few hires that we brought in.
4: Yeah, I think when when leaders take on a new team, um, I heard this great quote from a friend of mine the other day and he said, when you're a new leader and you're joining a new team, you're entering someone else's house. and It's it's a great concept when you think about it. And the best leaders, I think, say, hey, guys, I'm new. What's the landscape? How are things working? What things do you love? What things do you want to fix? How how can I be the best leader for you? First of all, you're showing up with some vulnerability. You're saying, I don't have all the answers. And newsflash, nobody does. (laughs) Um, So when you come with that kind of sensitivity and you come with that you know, I want this to be the best environment for us. That's your intention. And that's how you start delivering your words, your tone, your, your recognition that changes the way people respond. And I can tell you, I I led really big sales organizations for IBM, and I did this with my teams. And I was always the person to say, I'm not the smartest one in the room. Guys, you all have answers. Some of you have been doing this longer than I have. What can we do differently? How can we skin this cat in a way we've never done it before? And if they feel supported, and if they feel psychologically safe, you don't have lot of that mediocrity those mediocre people that don't want to do the work get out (laughs) because they know somebody's going to be picking on them to do something good and you leverage things like recognition like delegation to share the spotlight it completely changes the way people respond when you're constantly lifting people up and whether it's the people in your direct reporting chain or outside if you recognize them and you say hey sally you supported us in getting this contract done. You know, I'm bringing you on my all hands call. I want everyone to recognize your work. Oh my God, she's going to be so loyal to our team. She's going to be saying, I love working with that team. Those guys are awesome. They all bleed positivity. They're all trying to get better. And you know what? The whole point of all of this is we're driving results. I came from sales. So I understand like Culture is not an easy topic to talk about in sales. People are like, quotas, that's nonsense, that's fluffy. When it's right, you drive results. And I did it. Quarter after quarter, year after year, I will tell you it totally works. And you will inspire people versus demand results. Um, And that is how people learn and grow.
1: Lindsay, I love what you're talking about right now, because I think a lot of people go into a situation and maybe the employees are driving the culture and they don't know how to begin that shift. And yeah. some of the stuff that you just said really, I think, could empower some of the listeners to figure out how to shift the culture that currently exists. But I want to go back like even further. What if you're a brand new entrepreneur and you're getting started? Like You may not even know what a culture in a business should look like yeah. or how you wanna define that. So where can somebody begin to understand what does culture mean and what drives a culture and how do I define it for my own business if I don't already have employees?
4: Well, I, I think you brought up a great point, Lacey. And if you've never had a great leader, you don't know how to be a great leader. You can't be what you can't see. So that's why I wrote this book. And for the, the people that were the ogre style leaders and you're saying, hey, it's time to be vulnerable, They don't know how to do that. They don't know how to all of a sudden be humble and say, I don't know something. That's really scary for them. So I hope the book is that bridge to help you understand this is what good leadership looks like. And I pepper in a lot of stories and a lot of horror stories and a lot of really great stories of, you know, this is what it looks like. This is what it feels like. This is how people respond. But I think what you have to remember is you want to lead the way you want to be led. And if you talk down to your people, they're not going to be real inspired. If you give them that opportunity to shine, and you say, okay, this is the kind of culture I want to build. This is And I, I talk to a lot of business leaders that I'll say, um, let's let's draw what your perfect, business looks like because we want to start focusing our energy towards getting those things it's so fun when you see them start to shift their mindset of oh okay wait i i own a restaurant and my people don't understand that every glass every sip every bite costs money and i need my people to understand that it's precious what they're doing and they're creating memories or they have an opportunity to create a memory but Nobody knows that if it's not being said so Mm. you as an employee could understand this, but if you don't have a leader that understands this, you're kind of like, "Hmm, it's just a job. Mm. So to your point though, earlier of, if you're that employee, Some of the stuff I love to do, and I had people on my team doing this was raising their hands saying, Hey, is it okay. If I mentor a couple people on the team, oh my God, yeah, let's do it. And come back to me, tell me how it's going. Maybe we need to coach them. Maybe they need training. Let's figure out what that is. But those people that raise their hands, they get the opportunities. They, I get to advocate for them. And Mm -hmm. that's what lifts everybody up because other people are watching and they're going, wait. I want that opportunity. How do I do that? Can I take on a project for you? Oh, yeah, I got plenty. (laughs) You know?
0: And engagement's a huge issue today. And it's the leadership complexity that I believe is causing uh, lack of engagement. And part of that, I believe, is that as leaders, a lot of us who take on a philosophy, inspiration, and can't balance in motivation, motivation, you know, actually, can be uh, utilizing fear. If you study people like Marshall Thurber and uh, you know social deviance and understanding perturbation as a leadership quality in dose, I was curious how you f- felt about. You know, it's been my experience, and you know, I come from an older school generation where it was all Vince Lombardi type of leadership uh, <laughs> that inspired people and you know, it is a mechanism to bring the best in people, that you have to have a balance and a counterbalance. Agreed. Uh, you, you cannot just kumbaya everyone to death about- I'm so glad. You oh. have to, how's the best way that we perturbate people, uh, but yet not, you know, hurt their feelings, and demovate them, and, uh, have them quit because you're so mean, because you want more for them than they want for themselves. Yeah.
4: I'm so glad you said that because I think a lot of people, um, especially from the sales world and I, I work, I have a ton of Olympians and professional athletes on my podcast. So I hear this a lot that, you know, demanding kind of focus, but that comes from them as well, not necessarily from the coaches. And, you know, what you have to do is what you said is balance. And, you know, you have to be able to deliver the tough messages. This isn't, fluffy, nice to haves, this is modern leadership. Mm -hmm. And when you can recognize people for what they're capable of and lift them up that way, you can have, first of all, the assumption is you're building trust and trust is your currency. If you have that trust, you are able to give the tougher feedback. And instead of being like, and this happened to me, a leader said, hey, I don't like what you did on that last call. You didn't represent the company well, you didn't represent us well, do better next time. Well, how do you think I did the next time? I sucked. I was terrible. I was so afraid of the words coming out of my mouth. I was like, I couldn't rely on my sense of humor, my ability to read people. I, I My instincts, nothing. I was so scared of what I was going to say. Now, if she had said, how do you think that call went? If we had trust, I would have been like, mm, I think I could have done better on this part. I don't think I know enough about this part. Can you role play with me? Or could I sit with somebody and learn? because i'm i i am becoming self aware enough to know what i need to get better but you have to be able to build that trust first because when you deliver those tough messages and the tough feedback if there is no trust it's oh god we're in trouble we've got to do this and it's not inspiring to do that you want your people to feel motivated and excited and involved and have a purpose. Mm -hmm. I mean, most leaders forget that they have to provide purpose of why we're doing the work we're doing. Um, But yeah, I do think it's a balance and I had to deliver a lot of hard messages in sales, but because I created this safe space, they heard it, they listened, they understood the way we needed to pivot and move. And yeah, you're gonna get stuck having to lay people off. You're gonna get stuck having to fire people. But if people know that you're a heart-centered leader, and you can explain the circumstances or why it needs to happen. Most of the people that I had to lay off, I'm still in touch with today. And it, it's that's hard to do. I said I never wanted to get good at that. And I still don't think I am. <laughs> I'm like changing people's lives in that way.
1: no.
0: It's my least. And i very first awesome. employee with uh, Warren Moon. I told her it wasn't a good fit. as uh, This poor person I caught getting high at lunch. And uh, oh. she hated to talk to me for a year. And, but once again, I ended up officiating her wedding years later. Mm-hmm. And, uh, that incident propelled her to a better place, a better position. Yeah. Check out the podcast Heartbeat for Hire. Uh, I'm sure you'll want to reach out to at least Lacey. Uh, I'm not sure about leather over the, there or myself, <laughs> but uh, all the social media superstars, pro athletes, even award-winning journalists, been on the street love to uh, participate in that as well lindsay um if you want to be a leader and you can revolutionize and drive results you have to have the balance and counterbalance of understanding you are it's not what you say it's what they hear and how to walk and lindsay's been doing it for years at the highest level thanks for pouring into our community please come back we have many other shows between the three of us We'd love to have you participate in. Uh we appreciate you. Thank I'll
4: you. I'd be delighted. It was such a pleasure. And I honeymooned in Tahiti. So enjoy. That's uh, wonderful.
0: Yeah. We have about 20, 20 more hours, but I am enjoying you so much. <laughs> Good. Thank
4: you for having me, guys. Great to see you. You're
0: awesome. What a great leader. Um, so many different ways to articulate leadership, uh, which brings up a question that that I have. Um in the context, there's you know. Lindsay's laid people off, she's had to fire people, she has the right attention. Um, But sometimes when you're a great leader, people are afraid to hurt your feelings. Mm. And I've actually been running into into that lady lately, Lacey, lately with her people that, you know, they don't realize that this is not involuntary servitude. You know, your, your occupation, Activity you get paid for is not involuntary servitude, and great leaders want the best for you, and you damage the relationship because you're too afraid to ask for help, either find within a company where you may be better fit, or type the company where you fit, but you ruin your credibility because you're too afraid to tell the truth, and then you find out as exacerbated that it's damaged your culture and your community because people are afraid because they're pleasers. Not because they hate you or admit it to you, but they want to please you and they're like, but he's done so much for me or she's done so much for me. I can't bring to them that, you know, I want to work a different job or a different position. <laughs> and to me, that's been the greatest struggle lately uh, to have people like that, it's like, and you may say it every Monday, Wednesday, Friday, I am here to mm-hmm. help help you. How have you both dealt with that aspect? Because I know you have where people love you both so much that they're afraid to tell you the truth.
1: Well, I think number one, I mean, for those that listen to any of my content, I'm a big proponent of systems um, I think that every business needs to actually have a designated time where somebody can uh, review you. I think as leaders, we go in and hire employees and we think to ourselves, oh, we need to set up a 90-day review to just review their performance. But we don't open the lines of communication for us to be reviewed in that time either. So I always tell all my can, clients.
0: Can I, can I interrupt you for a second? So yeah. you know, I, I have that system and yet yeah. I still find It it perpetuates the people that are afraid to tell you the truth are now giving you a false review. And then it exacerbates the situation because things go the way that was planned. You're like, yeah, but you just told me. You just told me that you're in 100%, that you love being here, you love, right? You just told me that, and now I found out you're working for this other person, right? Or you're doing this. Well, yeah, it, I it, guess
5: I
1: would say they're not the right people then, right? Because if they're not able to actually be open and honest with you in a provided space, and then not take responsibility for not telling you something, they're probably not a good fit for your culture anyway.
3: Well, I, I would I would add one one of the things that we've done that I think has been really great for us, and it's actually um, we we got this concept from a not it it wasn't originally this this was designed actually to be for clients and i was like i'm going to apply this for our team is every month we do something called family dinner and i think that words Mm -hmm. matter um you know in in the core nucleus of the family we've lost that you know 5 p.m everybody sits down and eats together well that i think has translated over into business where we have our weekly meetings we do our 360 reviews but we don't have a time when we get to sit down and and discuss openly, um, you know, how how are things going on in your life? Uh, How do you think about your job? Let's have debates about politics and religion and philosophies. And I think that so many people are like, no, 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 Sean, we just had the culture talk. We can't, we can't do that. But I think that the humanness is what causes that, right? Like we just realize like we're humans and I don't, I think that a lot of people feel like it's not safe. It's not safe for me to engage. I mean, listen, the same thing like family dinner. There are a lot of families where you know the, the, the children don't feel that it's safe to tell mom or dad that mm-hmm. they disagree with something. And I think that that's just, that's part of culture. But that, that family dinner for us has absolutely been amazing. Every month we take our entire team out to dinner and we have a, a family discussion. Um, but it lends itself to conflict. It lends itself. And I'm not talking about it doesn't come you know, to nobody raises their voice. But we can discuss things that we ne- that we necessarily do not agree on. But it also opens up, you know, the ability to have that conversation and say, you know, since we're talking about it, I think I'd be better at marketing than um, than then the position you have me in. Or since we're talking about it, I just wanted to let everybody know I am looking at other opportunities um, because that's it's, it's not work. That's done in the environment of it's a family discussion.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and in those discussions, um, when people reveal certain opinions, you were talking about, for example, religion and politics, uh, I have found that when they have those discussions in those family dinner scenarios, then it, it also lends itself to working through the fear and doubt and actually helps to contribute to the culture that you know we spend so much time trying to be and appreciate how we're the same that we don't spend enough time appreciating how we're different. And you know, I I know, you know, I have multiple friends that have varying degrees of uh, opinions on those two matters that are sensitive topics when you're a leader and a public figure and all the other things. And yet by asking pertaining to the similarities, but also expressing the appreciation of your differences by asking questions. And I the power of Lindsay's input to us is, you know, how she reviews people uh, in with those open-ended questions, like what do you think you, can do better, right? Mm-hmm. What did you like about that call? What didn't you like about that call? What do you like about this religion? What don't you like about this religion? You know, what would you do differently if you created that religion? And mm-hmm. understanding that nobody can like everything about a political party and everything about, their in their own political party and everything about their own religion. So we end up siloing that you say, i'm this but you may not agree with every single faction and in, in level of that there's a spectrum of understanding and of acknowledgement and i think through those conversations we start realizing what's well, not black or white you know just because somebody says that they this doesn't mean they believe in all of this and it's something that also gets lost when we don't have those more intimate conversations open-ended conversations uh speaking of Open-ended and open-minded conversations. We got extraordinary entrepreneur joining us right now. Uh, he's uh, new to our community, CEO and co-founder of Arena, Krishna Bargula. How are you? Welcome to office hour. I got three doctors here. This is crazy. <laughs> my mom would be, be so proud of you, of all of you, and so disappointed in me again. But uh, well, welcome, Krishna, uh, to office hour. Different kind of doctor.
5: Don't worry. Uh, Nice Nice to meet you, Lacey. Nice to meet you, Sean. Nice
1: to meet you. Uh,
0: Anyway, Krishna, you uh, are the co-founder and CEO of Arena, and you have uh, closed some funding and and been able to work with uh, the biggest names in sports especially. And I know what it's like to be in the inner circle uh, of uh, different teams, organizations. Um, For you, uh, what has been the secret to get to that uh, inner circle, and be able to not only support the inner circle, provide value to the inner circle, um, but even those funding with that inner inner circle.
5: Yeah, I uh, I don't come from sports at all. Like my, it's not in my background. I mean, aside from being a martial artist, sort of casually amateur level, and uh, being passionate about fitness and sports, um, didn't come from that uh, in my background. I was I was always focused on. You know, deep technology, biotech, diagnostics for women's health, uh, those spaces. So uh, what I found worked really well is just ask, just show up and ask. Um, and if you do that enough times and you seem like a reasonably serious person, someone will answer.
2: Mm-hmm. <laughs>
5: and, um, you know, once, once you get that one, if you get that one conversation, that one 10 minute, 15 minute conversation and, you know, uh, they just sort of get it. They get what you're doing you find that connection, um, then you're, then you're pretty, it's pretty easy to just ask them, who else do you know? And then so one becomes two and two becomes four. And before you know it, you're kind of broken into these inner circles, which I think a lot of us perceive to be truly like an echelon that, that rebuffs people. doesn't let people in. Um, but the reality is, is they're just people like us, right? So if you can find a way to relate with, uh, you know, their, their passions and have some commonalities with them. It's not so hard.
3: Black, let's uh, dive into like the, the actual benefit that you're bringing to your clients. Uh, obviously, once you're in that inner circle and you've just asked, tell us a little bit about what it looks like to work with you and the benefit that you're bringing to to your clients. Yeah. So
5: uh, we just for, you know, a broader audience who's not familiar, we we make a portable robot for strength training. And, you know, what the hell is that, right? So it's like a box, a two-by-three-by-one box with the cable sticking out of it. When you look at it, you say, oh, okay, this is, this is a very tough-looking box. You know, it's covered in um, bed liner, and it's made of aircraft aluminum. But what's going on inside is we've miniaturized this uh, electric drivetrain technology that you'd find in a high-performance car. Um, and so you can set the resistance with your phone. You can work out against that cable it'll instantly set the resistance. There's no like weight stack or dumbbells or anything like that going on. Um, And it's also measuring everything you do all the time. So if you have any familiarity with strength training, you know, it's actually pretty complex. You can read a hundred articles online. They're going to give you a hundred pieces of advice on what to do. A lot of it's bro science. A lot of it's not stuff you can relate to, you know, about taking mounds of creatine and waking up five in the morning and pumping the weights and all that uh, it's, it's, it's hard to approach. We, we just sort of simplify it. We measure exactly what you do. We tell you what to do every week. And we, for most consumers, uh, simplify the experience. And if you're already athletically minded, that helps because you'll sort of recognize the features of a functional trainer. You'll recognize a lot of these movements like squats and deadlifts. But you know, the reality is for a lot of these initial customers who were in pro sports or in the military or physical therapists, it was really more about cost and convenience. And I think that's like the underlying thing for most technological innovation. It's always cost and convenience that drives your first customers, but in our case, the convenience is like overwhelming. To to get the same capability to lift, you know, up to two hundred pounds to measure all these things, you need a full weight kit. You need a full gym, right? And that that weighs ten thousand pounds or more, and it's not something you can really move around. Um, so our first clients, which I I won't say specifically who they were, but was a very large NBA team, uh, who were nice enough to buy my prototypes, which had duct tape and Tupperware in them, uh, for them, it was about being able to take something. They can do tendon recovery activities on the road, right? So they're really pushing that capability on convenience. And then you've got this 45 pound thing that replaces a massive gym and they have consistency every time they train, it's the same tool. It's the same procedure and they're able to measure how people are improving. Uh, then it started to be used in prehabs. They're putting it courtside, warming up, you know, getting ready for the game. Then it started being used in player performance and general skills training. So we've seen it evolve as they realize the convenience from that sort of extreme scenario to a more general uh utility. And and from there, we've seen other customers like that who push the boundaries, find new ways of using it, take full advantage of that and that's translated to consumers so now on the other side of this you've got folks like my co-founder who has two daughters um you know both of them work him and his wife life is busy they don't have time to trudge the gym and back and you know, they want to stay in shape uh, but they're both athletically minded they do mountain biking he's an Ironman man triathlete and so he uses this to just get in and out 10 minutes to make sure that he's getting the sets and he just does it in his garage which is actually where we to develop the product early on but you can see how those same advantages walk from an nba team to somebody who's just you know has a busy lifestyle
1: (laughs) krishna i was just thinking man convenience increases compliance for sure especially for me when it comes to working out like i will be the first to tell you if it's if the gym is not convenient for me to get to i am not as accountable i don't work out as often as i should i can make so many excuses to not have that happen on a day-to-day basis so i'm like i love the idea of having like a gym in my home where i can do strength training so but i'm listening to you and i am not the most athletically minded i am 5'1 105 pounds i'm very little like is this something i could use is this for everyone in the general population and would you be able to teach me How to utilize it for what i'm trying to achieve
5: over the last year that's what we've done we've opened it up for the general population you can just go on our website and buy one Uh, it retails for 2500 and you can lease it for 99 a month And, and the reason we have those two models is if you're not particularly athletic but you don't want to pay for a gym membership that you probably don't use right this is something that you can you can take advantage of in your house and you know, honestly, we've had a, a growing group of customers that are coming together who use it for that. Either they find the gym super inconvenient and their compliance is low, and they're spending a ton of money on something that they're just not really taking advantage of, um, or they find the gym really intimidating. And you know, equal to that, going to a Barry's class, going to a Rumble class, one of these things, it, it might just be too much for some people, right? You're you're asking to be punished for 45 minutes. Um, you know, you've got to wear... All the right gear. You got to, you know, use the showers there. Figure out how to work it into your work schedule. Uh, that, that's a lot for people. So it's either been folks who who just have very poor compliance and don't use their gym membership much, or it's been, you know, folks who are uh, sort of intimidated or maybe just overwhelmed with with what they would actually want to do. So we built out a lot of content on the app for that population, for that that group of users who want to get on there and. You know they they don't know how to train they don't know how to get started but they're at least there they've shown up they stepped up they're doing a few reps and it just walks through the class and it counts all your reps and it measures everything you know within 20 minutes you you get out and go do go do other things
0: it's nice well i'm telling you it's size (laughs) you can travel with it i'm looking forward to the upcoming holiday sale of all their products so i can next time when i come to tahiti i have to wait (laughs) until 9 a.m for the gym to open since uh, it's still only 5.24 a.m. here. Uh, no better way to get your minimum amount of time the activity most important, the non-negotiable of health. That is, the three doctors know better than I do. If you're healthy, you get as wishes as you want. If you're unhealthy, you only get one wish. So we want to wish you a great experience with what the pros use. RENA is now available for... Even Lacey Book, who's 105 pounds soaking wet, by the way, I think she was exaggerating. You know, you're in really good shape. You have to lie about how much you weigh to the opposite. You know, I'm I'm always, you know, Sean and I, we lie about the other side of it. You know, the only thing I lie up my age, so people think I look younger. Uh, so I'm like 10 years older than Sean, and people are like, "Really?" That's. Amazing. <laughs> Krishna, congratulations. Uh, Where can people check out the upcoming holiday sale uh, that you guys have? It is arena.fit.
5: That's right, arena.fit. You want to check us out on uh, Instagram, we have a lot of content up there of athletes, normal folks using it. It's at go.arena.
0: I think we got you new beautiful endorsement model. uh, Dr. Lacey's book would be perfect, and we could do it. She's like soaking wet. I could have my guy, key and give a, it's over. Get through, you know, That's thing. You know, <laughs> right. <laughs>
5: exactly.
0: You can't find anyone better than her. I'll tell you that. Uh, if I had a product, that's who my spokeswoman would be for sure. <laughs> anyway, thank you, Chris. Uh, we'll have. Thanks you. for having us. Appreciate it. All right. Have a good. One. <laughs> He's awesome. All right, guys. Three great entrepreneurs uh, in the presence of our Friday training. First, I'd like to thank Leather and Lace for joining me, especially you, uh, Dr. Sean Dill, for jumping off an airplane. He really shooting down into that airport uh, just so he could make the show on time. And, of course, uh, Dr. Lacey Buck, who'd like to give me their takeaway of the day?
1: My takeaway of the day is trust is your currency. I think Lindsay said that, and I just love the way that she articulated that everything we do in life is about building trust with others so we can have meaningful relationships, whether they're employees or uh, other individuals or or, or Dave or uh, Sean, but your trust is your currency no matter what you do, and I love that.
3: Oh, <laughs> uh, well, they Dave's sorting out the lights there. Clap uh, on. Uh, <laughs> um, I, I, one of the things I, I, I got through all of this is uh, the consciousness of of uh, being inspired and dreaming big. And I know it might seem odd to some people, but you know, through through this, this thread, and, and I always look when, when I have the blessing to be on office hours for the commonality in the guests. And you know, all the way from in stage IPO, and I'm sure Krishna is probably like, hey, um, one day I want to see my product make it to that level. And then in between with Lindsay, right? That the bridge culture. Um, but I think that what I, my takeaway today is man, just dream bigger, all of us. I mean, I even think the three of us, like we need to dream bigger. Um, and then we just have to, you know, bridge that gap, that culture gap, um, that'll take us there and then, you know, thank goodness. We know people like Dave who knows people who can help us to get there. And so, um, listen, for everybody watching, we have all the tools. It's up to us to, uh, to pick up those tools and, and, and build something incredible, um, because tools They don't ever build anything by themselves. And so that was my takeaway today.
0: Yeah, that's a great takeaway. For me, it's, you know, with our upcoming event in LA, uh, and we're in an easier game, the Chargers versus the Bears, but we have an intimate mastermind uh, where it's an intensive. Uh, We're working with simply 10 people, meeting them where they're at. What I heard from all three of our guests was that they understood meeting people where they're where at, whether you're a professional athlete, whether you're the CEO of a huge company or a startup, people, whether it's Peter or Lindsey or Krishna, you know the basis of what they're doing is, let me understand where you're at today and create delta in your life. Everyone has different skills and knowledge, but we all have desires. And if we can tap into uh, desires by meeting people where they're at and elevating that delta in their lives with what they're passionate about, what what they want, you know, looking at and making sure that you know this is what I want, not this is what other people want for me, or this is who I am. This is not what I want. Other people to think I am. And I think the takeaway for me was, in every varying degree, it's so important to meet people where they're at and help them with their delta. And I know both of you do that in so many different ways with the coaching, speaking, book writing, all the different matters. By the way, uh, you put up a new event that you could put on. Uh, you said words matter and nobody's done a words matter. Everyone's done the marketing matters and the money matters. <laughs> Everyone's does the words matter, a good one. Uh, mindset matters. So put that on our list. I'll be the first to sign up to teach at that one. Words do matter and your words have mattered in my community for years now. And your friendship matters even more. I'm so blessed to have you both. uh, Extraordinary gifts uh, in my wife and my life. I want to thank you for taking your Friday to pour into our community. I look forward to seeing you in a couple days. We also will be in Miami after L.A. So don't make any excuses. I don't care what coast you're on uh, or in the middle. Pick and choose. Come and meet Sean, Lacey, and I. and Many, many, many other killer people uh, will be there. There's too many to list out. Uh, But if you want to come, have a great uh, intensive mastermind, VIP dinner and a football game on the 28th and 29th, and then right to Miami uh, for uh, the next week. So come and reach out to us at Dr. Lacey Book. Shank Dilly could be Googled anywhere, everywhere. And of course, email me, david at com. We blew out the lights here because we're bringing it in Tahiti or they didn't pay the bills. I hope there's not some kind of tsunami that I just got missed the warning for. Uh, but more importantly, thank you, everyone. Uh, thank you, Lacey. Thank you, Sean. I'll see you guys in a couple weeks. I'll awesome. see you. Uh, that was it. Friday training over 24 years. Like I said, come to the Mastermind and Intensive with me, Sean and Lacey, October 28th and 29th. And then in Miami right afterwards, uh, we're going to be next. Tom Brady, Girito, Tom Belieu, Mexico City, Orlando, Houston. We have meetups and VIP lunches and dinners. Join me. You can join my text community because I can't keep up with where I'm going and what I'm doing either. So get alerted to that, including our trainings and our groups. David at dmelter.com, 949-298-2905. I want to thank our team. Remember most importantly, be more interested than interesting. Be kind to your future self and do good deeds. We'll see you later.